You're listening to the Ottoman History Podcast. To find out more about today's topic or check out some of our other episodes, along with maps, images, documents, and other materials related to the history of the Ottoman Empire and the modern Middle East, visit us on the web at ottomanhistorypodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. Today we live in a world where our time feels very regimented. We have this notion of linear time where time goes forward and perhaps someday we can go backwards as well, but that basically time is operating uh, on a straight line into the future and that our time, our hours and our minutes are divisible into even and equal segments and um, with common expressions that we have, such as time is money, time appears almost as a fungible commodity. But in fact, whether we look at scientific theories about time, such as relativity, showing that time is not even, or if we think about cyclical notions of time, from the seasons to various rituals that we associate with pre-modern society, we see that human societies have, and to some extent still do, deal with time in an uneven way. In fact, we can speak of something called temporal culture. That will be the topic of today's discussion with our guest, Avner Wischnitzer, who's currently a Kreitman postdoctoral fellow at Ben-Gurion University at the Negev. He holds a PhD from Tel Aviv University, and he's working on a a book project that's hopefully coming out within the next year called Reading Clocks a la Turca. Avna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So throughout this month, we're going to be dealing with different topics in time and space. And so maybe a good place to start is with this notion you talk about in your, in your manuscript, temporal culture, and maybe what the temporal culture of the early modern or 18th century Ottoman world was like. Okay, so let me start off by... by um explaining a little bit about this this notion that I use. So my um, feeling as I was reading and writing uh, was that the term time is used in so many different ways, uh, but very often in mutually exclusive ways, as in cyclic time versus linear time, physical time versus social time, uh, and so on. And also I felt that uh, it does not cover a whole range of attitudes towards time uh, that can hardly be part of the term itself. So if we're talking about conventions, uh, social conventions of being on time or being late and what it means and emotions that have to do with time, like how I feel about being late, this this uh, stress that we sometimes experience, like this is even inside our body, uh, how we imagine time, and this, of course, differs between societies. All these things um, had to find their place, and I felt that using time to cover all that uh, is not uh, broad enough and it's not flexible enough, and that we use, we need um, uh, a broader term um, that would nevertheless address the inner logic that we find or the coherence we, we, we usually find when we try to explore 
time-related attitudes, ideals, notions, emotions in uh, any given society. So by, by, by temporal culture, I mean a historical, uh, historically created system of measuring time, of imagining time, of uh, structuring it for everyday life, attitudes and approaches and ideals uh, about, about time in, in, you know, for, for any given uh, human society. And of course... Uh, within every every uh, given society, we may have different temple cultures. Exactly. But when I when I write about uh, the Ottoman Empire, I'm uh, specifically referring to hegemonic temple culture. Mm-hmm. That is the culture uh, promoted and uh, maintained by by the elite and mm-hmm. official uh, institutions. So, just to give an idea of what I mean by temporal culture. Uh, and how it differs from from time. When I came to to the United States, for example, I noticed several or many differences in the way people organize their time, in the way they approach it, even though it is supposedly the same linear time we use in Israel. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same. We use the same clocks with the same hours and the same seconds. It's the right. same time. But for example. Americans in general, and I'm, of course I'm generalizing here, uh, at least in the social environment I was, I got to know, would plan ahead much, much longer than Israelis would do. Or to give another example, we were invited to uh, some sort of a block party and, you know, we were invited or we were told that the, the party would be between five and seven in the evening which for us was very weird because where I come from, you don't tell anybody when to leave before he even came. So in, in Israeli right. terms, that might even be considered rude, but I can fully understand why in America, uh, you know, in that social environment, that made mm-hmm. sense. So all these no- conventions, you know, how late can you call and whom? You right. Know? Uh, how, uh, ahead of, how, how uh, much time ahead of a scheduled hour, you call to give a notice that you're going to be late. What is the margins of the punctual, right? Uh, if we start a class one, uh, one minute after the scheduled time, is that on time? But in a different context, if the news start, you know, 15 seconds after the scheduled time, that is, you know, considered a uh, much worse violation of of the code of you know right. conventions, so all these all these things come under the, the the title of of a temple culture, and what I try to do is to uh, follow the transformation of Ottoman temple culture from the 18th century down to the demise of of, of the Ottoman Empire. And so, what you said here is very interesting because you you've you've differentiated between a time system, a way of maybe measuring time, counting time, and uh, you know disseminating that those ideas about time. And the uh, way people essentially feel about time, uh, ascribe uh, certain positive and negative values to certain types of use of time. And, you know, it's true, this is, this is an anxiety for people today. You know, we're surrounded by clocks. Everything uh, feels very stressful in terms of the way we organize our time. We feel like we're maybe sometimes, uh, if we want to talk about the emotional side of history, in a state of anxiety because of this thing that is always passing, which is time. 
And of course, as you say, temporal cultures are not limited to the context we're talking about. You don't have to have a watch to have a temporal culture. Exactly. Um, w- well, before there were clocks, there were other ways of approaching time. Um, of measuring time, of organizing time. And I think we have to, and this is what I try to do, is to differentiate between the way people organize time, between the way people imagine time and think about time and try to uh, define time. Because most of right. us, when we think of it, most of us don't contemplate the nature of time daily. But we still have to be uh, at work in a certain hour. That means we are, um, we are locked within these, uh, within these structures Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, even if we don't contemplate them, so we have to discuss separately uh, the different aspects, like you know, like organizing time and and imagining time and the images we use to talk about time and emotions we feel in certain uh, conditions, uh, but also to note the, the the connections between these supposedly different uh, aspects of of the temporal culture uh-huh. because they all come together and this is the, it's it's the inner logic it's the cohesiveness of let's say the early modern ottoman temporal culture that i try to bring out in the, in the first chapter of my uh-huh. of my book that doesn't mean that there are no inner uh, conflicts within it but mm. it does mean that it made sense to people and we have to uh try and and reconstruct this 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 uh this inner logic why it made sense and why it why the resilience because this explains i think the resilience of many of these practices and notions sure. down to the end of the empire well then i guess that's a good place for us to start when delving into the the ottoman period what is this early modern temporal culture in the ottoman empire and of course when we say in the ottoman empire probably from location to location, temporal culture meant different things, but most broadly, how could we define it? Okay, so once again, I'm talking about hegemonic notions and practices. Um, and as you said, you know, we have minority communities, we have urban versus, uh, you know, countryside, we have many, many different um, varieties. But when I'm talking about Ottoman temporal culture, I mean the culture of the Ottoman, as in, you know, Osmanli. And we can talk about the way it is, the way time is perceived, the way it's measured, and the way it's structured, like uh, the way it is used to structure social uh, social life. So I'll start by saying something about the way it's, it is perceived. So time is part of a divinely created construct, or a system. It's part of the universe. It's not a human-made structure that we can manipulate to our needs. This is how it's presented. And um, it is not separated from, you know, it's kind of a a in-between men and, and the universe. And it affects the way, you know, human humans' lives, because time and fate are almost synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both bound with the movement of these celestial bodies, and time exerts its influence over the lives of people. Uh, hence the fascination with astrology. So there are different, you know, time has different qualities 
as you said, it's not equal, it's not empty. So the time of Ramadan is essentially different from other times. Friday is essentially different from the other days of the week. Nighttime is different, essentially, time itself, from daytime. And auspicious hours are different from inauspicious hours. And this is determined by the stars. And people would consult astronomers, astrologers, Munajim Lech, about many things, from the Munajim Basha in the palace, but, you know, down to just normal, common people. And these are kind of like temporal spaces, in a sense. Like, when you enter the month of Ramazan, your your behaviors change. Exactly. Because you're in a different time frame. Kind yeah. Of. And um, you would, of course, no, not, not, everybody, not everybody believed in auspicious and inauspicious times, but apparently uh, many people did. So, you know, before you, um, you go, you set on a journey, or you, you, or the sultan uh, goes to war, he checks what would be the auspicious time to do that. So, so time is, different segments of time are qualitatively different. And the takvim lesh, the calendars that are being pre- produced in this time, mark these differences. They don't just divide time to different segments, but they also indicate the different qualities of these different segments. Sure. Now, generally speaking, we can say that the palace is in the in the in the center of of this uh, system that structures time and gives meaning to different uh, segments of that time. This is by producing the takvim lesh, you know, from the munajim bashe. The, the head of the uh, the chief astrologer astronomer, but also structuring the daily routines because this is done uh, based on the, the 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 prayer cycle, and the prayer cycle uh, we have a whole uh, body of knowledge there that determines how to uh, um, calculate the right time from prayers, and you would have. Uh, specialists in that in that field muvakit muvakit ler who would um, work in the in especially in the in the sultanic mosques in the bigger mosques in the bigger cities um in order to um um to determine the right time for for prayers and this ultimately becomes like the social clock of society but the the internals of that clock i mean the knowledge the knowledge and developing that knowledge and, of course, funding this whole operation is mostly performed by the sultan through his, you know, endowment and of sometimes of the people from, from, the, from the elite. Mm-hmm. So the map of the Muvakit Lesh, the Muvakit Hane, mm-hmm. is uh, basically the, the, the map of the power structure of that particular age, because you would see that, you know, high officials are also trying to, and especially in the 18th century, we see a, an increase in the building of Muvakit Hanes, um, these, these little rooms that are attached to the bigger mosques where the Muvakit sits, right? And the Muvakit Hanes, they, their, their function is to uh, process this, uh, you know, would be knowledge about time based on, I guess, c- celestial bodies like stars, the moon, the seasons as well, and 
mostly they use uh, um, tables they have, catalogs, in order to yeah to calculate the right time for prayers and in Ramadan for the for the fast. Mm-hmm. So you can say that they translate a whole body of knowledge into workable uh, workable time or or something that people can uh, relate to right. through the calls to prayer. And the calls for prayer, the, the prayers themselves, structure the whole, you know, the, the social social life in all the throughout the empire. Sure, the names of all the prayers are essentially times of day. Yeah, whether whether you pray or not, it's pretty much like the English use tea time, whether they drink tea or not. It's it's a time of the day, right? So, ikindi um, is still used today. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, for for the late afternoon, for example. So. Right. And so these are they're, they're essentially like the clock tower of the day, in that regard. Yes, well, very so, much so. But so you've 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 introduced this uh, fascinating notion of, uh, you know, essentially different times for different things. You know, you have the auspicious times, the right time to do something, the wrong time to do something else. You have certain times of day, times of year where special behaviors are expected. There's another aspect of time during, you know, the, the Ottoman period that uh, immediately draws our attention when speaking from the present, which is that, you know, in a world where there's, n- there's no electric lighting, in a world where a lot of uh, life is governed by rural labor cycles, uh, in, and of course the seasons and all that come with it, time, time is very uneven. The times of prayers occur at different times by our measurement today, depending on the year, the day becomes compressed in the winter. The day becomes much longer in the summer. We can we can see how this is this affects like rural life on the village level. But could you elaborate on how this was part of this hegemonic system of time that you described yeah. in your work? Right, I'll, I'll elaborate on that and introduce clocks into that to that eighteenth century uh, uh, Ottoman culture because this is what happens. Clocks become more um, more um, widespread. You know how are they going to be used in in the in a system which, as you said, uh, is um, closer to natural cycles? Um, like, for example, the, the 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 gap between the morning prayer and the noon prayer, of course, in winter would be much shorter than in summer, etc. So, let me let me uh, go back a little bit and and say a few words about. Uh, the hours, the way hours were counted, if they were counted at all. Because as I said, until the 18th century, it's mostly the times of prayer that we find in documents, in 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 uh, chronicles. You know, when then this and this happened, it happened between the noon prayer and the afternoon prayer. Um, or when are we going to meet? We're going to meet after the noon prayer. But what happens in the 18th century is that clocks become more widespread and then they are being used according to the older system of hours because there is of course a notion of hours what we now call temporal hours or seasonal hours which the duration of which changes uh, with the seasons so what it means you'd have two sets of 12 hours one from sunset to sunrise the other from sunrise to sunset but the duration of each hour, and they are called hours, sat, changes with the fluctuations in the in the day right. of the night and the night. So this system was very common 
Uh, of course, it relies on sundials, basically. Right. Um, and you could find sundials some, in some places in Istanbul, but for most people, for most people, it's just an intuitive system, right? Uh, they know that six o'clock is noon, okay? It's the time for the noon prayer. And 12 o'clock is sunset, and it's the time for the evening azan. Uh, but other than that, it's very difficult to determine a m- more specific times. Now, clocks are come into the, in, in, you know, become more widespread because the, they're cheaper. They're not, you know, most people don't have clocks, that's, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But we have uh, tens of thousands of clocks being sold in the Ottoman Empire every year by the end of the 18th century. And we see more and more references to clocks, um, both in documents and in poetry, uh, chronicles, and, and other uh, or two hours. And so how do these clocks work uh, with this uneven hour system? Okay. Uh, you have to use them like a sundial, essentially. So basically, they, they of course, clocks measure, measure equal hours. The Ottoman astronomer, the Ottoman astronomers had a notion of equal hours, but of course, for most, most people, these were inapplicable without uh, mechanical clocks. Right. So most people continued to use clocks uh, or if they use mechanical clocks, they would use it, you know, more or less. It more or less, it more or less uh, accords with the scheme they had in their minds, mm-hmm. right? But as the 19th century progressive, the 19th century, at least in official use, the equal hours of the clock came to predominate over the seasonal hours. And what does that mean? It means that people would set their clocks on sunset at sunset every day or almost every day otherwise it would go out of sync with uh, with the with the natural cycle right so almost every day people would set their clocks on at sunset and then it would run two sets of 12 hours but the uh it no long, longer accords with the night right. and the day because people didn't and this is a source of confusion in many texts that you you may mm-hmm. uh, because people no longer people don't set their clocks at sunrise, only at sunset. Yeah. So if it's uh it's it's summer and this, the 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 night is shorter, you know. You have to know how long the day and night are going to be anyway for that to work, right? What you need to do? No, it depends if you count on the clocks. Yeah. yeah? And in official use, gradually they move to rely on the clocks as opposed to the position of the sun and the sundial. But this happens later in the 19th century. Now, I think in, in the first half of the 19th century, people still use the clocks somewhat ambiguously, right? Actually, I, it's, it's more or less, or as we see in the documents, in Ottoman documents, we sometimes see Radelerinde or Sularinda. So it's more or less at, or approximately at, um, you know, 10. Sure, it's normal, but I'm wondering what's driving this transition from using sundial or just looking up or using the call to prayer to using these clocks. Are they? Is is this like a like a issue of taste? Is it that clocks are a status symbol, or is it about you know this issue of hegemonic time? Where does this come from? How does it originate? Okay, so some some scholars have argued that. In the 18th century, it's a matter of, you know, it's a status symbol. 
And sure, it's a status symbol, not in, in just in the Ottoman Empire, but throughout right. the world, right? But it's more than that. And what drives this process uh, is needs. These are social needs of specific bodies that we can identify. So, for example, uh, the administrative system is reforming. And we see that by the end of the 18th century, the earliest document I have is from 1786. But from that point on, these type of, this type of documents multiply. Like, uh, it becomes very important. What these documents try to do is to, um, to define the, the workday in the, in the central bureaus in terms of hours as opposed to from the morning prayer to the ikindi prayer. Okay, because what they get out of it is a more clearly defined right. duration, and um, they can play with it more easily. And they explain why they do it in the documents. It's explained because we have you know a huge like a terrible workload. Clerks are living before uh, ikindi prayer, or you know clerks are not being not. They put it. They arrive late and leave early. Okay, so they have to make it clearer. You should be by this and this hour in the office and leave by that hour, not before. And then you could also, later on, or very soon, you begin to see sanctions against late latecomers. Mm. So this is one, you know, one body that presses this, this process forward. Later on, we have the military, the right. reformed military, the post-1826 military, that is, uh, it needs in order to restructure itself, in order to use new tactics, in order to uh, regulate camp routines, it needs more um, meticulous temporal structures. So it's the military later on, it's the education system, very important for the late 19th century, but in promoting and advertising these new ways of, these new regimented uh, way of life, clock-regulated reg way of life. So by the end of the 19th century, we have tens of thousands of, you know, uh, graduates, school graduates in different systems, like the military and the civilian, and they are all, they've all been regimented. They've all been educated under the clock. And sometimes it's quite literally under the clock. The clock is overlooking the Galatasaray, you know, in the late 19th century, you know, in the courtyard. It's right. just up there. And of course, it's not just that. It's it's in the in the teaching materials. I mean, they learn about the vaktinkimeti, the, the mm -hmm. value of time. It's very very much uh, in the texts themselves. So, so we see how the system is, you know, more legible, easier to control for a state or some kind of yes. institution like that. But it 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 kind of clashes with what exists outside of the confines of the state, where officials and these officers uh, and employees ultimately reside. In other words, this new uh, system of time uh, is at odds with the pre-existing temporal culture. So, uh, What are some of the tensions that arise from this? I mean, do we see uh, sort of compromise or negotiation in this field in creating this uh, new temporal culture during the late 19th century? You're very much right. For the 19th century, we kind of slipped into the 19th century without noticing it. 
So if we're still in the 18th century, these problems are minimal because, as I said, clocks are subjected, the use of clocks is subjected to existing uh, notions and structures. We see that also on a more fundamental level in the poetry, like the way clocks are used to serve existing uh, conventions in the poetry, uh, I think is, is, is um, emblematic of the way they were actually used. Uh, but in the 19th century, as this you know, modern state-building process in, you know, gathers momentum, you're very right. The, the 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 these state spaces like like bureaus and schools and military um, compounds uh, have a different routines. They are structured differently. The people raised in them look at what's happening outside as disorder, and they begin and this is this happens towards you know in the second half of the 19th century especially last three decades they begin to associate this disorder with the general situation of the ottoman empire and this is i think a, a crucial moment here because if before these were all pragmatic practical uh, solutions to very immediate problems, what we see by the end of the 19th century is that more and more the graduates of these uh, systems begin to associate uh, these problems with the notion, a new notion of historical time. Okay, so uh. so that's a whole different level, I'd say. So is there a moment, I don't know, Is it is it when clock towers start to be built all over the empire is this like a major break is there a moment we can look to or is this process happening very incrementally i would uh, i would say it happens incrementally but it gathers momentum and it's worth noting that the very notion of p- progress right. uh, which becomes so important by the late 19th century is in itself based on a specific understanding of historical time as linear, as flowing towards the future. And the whole notion of civilization by the end of the 19th century, Medeniet, so crucial for Ottoman reformers, is based on that. So civilization lies at the tip of this era of time that is pointing towards the future. And civilization is Europe. And we are behind we the ottomans are lagging behind and they say it over and over and over again now here is when this new notion of historical time translates into the way we the ottomans uh, organize our quotidian time if we are behind if we are lagging behind we need to save time because time is money and we see that over and over again it's them doing this connection not me they say it explicitly we are lagging behind and therefore we need to save time we need to um, be more efficient in the way we use time and this becomes like a vision like a new vision for order and progress and i'm not just you know it's not uh, incidental that i use this order and progress uh, motto because for the cup people this would become a central notion 
central also to the critique of the Hamidian order. So in a sense, the Hamidian order that had taught them about the importance of time, the value of time, and medeniet, and all these things, um, basically created its own, its own enemies. Because these people, the graduates of these schools, the young officers and the young uh, civil uh, officials, begin to measure the Hamidian order by these standards and find it to be disorderly, inefficient, and therefore retarded. It's it's it belongs to yesterday, and we belong. We, as the you know the young educated, we belong to the future. We belong to the new century. We belong. Uh, uh, to everything that lies ahead and best suited to lead this this empire forward. So this notion of time, historical and quotidian, becomes as central to their self-definition mm-hmm. as a group and to their agenda. And here we can see how politics enters the temporal culture to create something a little bit different in the Ottoman Empire, I guess, than maybe in other parts of uh, Europe and, and, and the rest of the world. I mean... A lot of the uh, conflicts we discuss, you know, the unevenness of time, how how the use of clocks will clash with pre-existing systems of measuring time, are not unique to the Ottoman Empire because mm-hmm. it, at some point in in Europe as well, the same process is taking place. However, this notion that our time, i.e., the, the Ottoman time, is behind, you know, there's a this notion of backwardness that we are simultaneously existing yet existing on different planes of time is, is of course a source of anxiety for these uh, officials who are in control of the hegemonic apparatus this time. And I guess can actually be employed as a discourse of control, right? Of course. Uh, Osama Magdisi, for example, has already demonstrated uh, the way this kind of, uh, Denial of coevalness, relying on, on Johann Fabian's uh, famous uh, work, denial of coevalness, the way the the, the center um, used this discourse to kind of understand the problem and justify its solutions mm-hmm. vis-a-vis peripheral uh, groups, especially in the Arab provinces. But I think what we need to see is that this translates into quotidian life. It's not just discourse. It has very particular implications uh, in different aspects of life. So, for example, we need to teach the people about the importance of time, the value of time. Hence, for example, clock towers. Okay? So, clock tower is one manifestation. It is also a need of urban life by that time which is something that is sometimes overlooked. Uh, people talk about the ideological aspect, right. but forget that people need uh, uh, something to determine, like an authority to determine what is the right time. If we're all using clocks, what is the, what is the master clock? Okay? Mm-hmm. But, but certainly there, there is the ideological aspect. Clocks are order, and order is civilization and progress. Um, but it also means that we need to teach people in schools. We need to teach students from a very young age. And it means, by the young Turk uh, uh, era, that we have to reform or break some of the older practices. Mm -hmm. So some people within the CUP begin to talk about... The talk begins earlier, but they are actually trying 
to enact uh, or to to um, to pass laws in the parliament, either to abolish the Alaturka hour system and to introduce in its stead meantime, or to promote the use of the use of meantime alongside Alaturka hour system. Uh, because this is the modern, this is where we should be heading, this is the world, right? But for probably most of the, the majority of the population, the Alaturka system was the the familiar, the knowable. Mm-hmm. It made sense to them. And so they opposed it through representatives in the in the parliament. There were huge, you know, discussions, very heated discussions about that. And it was only in the mid-1920s, after a whole new order had been uh, established, that the, the elite of the early republic uh, banned by law the use of the Alaturka system. And even after that, people continued to use it. And that, and that will remind our, our, at least our Anglophone listeners, we were very fortunate this year to finally receive a translation in English of Ahmed Hamdi Tampanar's... Uh, Clock-setting institution or the Time Regulation Institute. Time Regulation Institute, which uh, kind of... Institute, yeah. Um, in a way, satirizes uh, this whole process. Well, what you were saying reminded me of something, of course, not related to per- perhaps the hours of the day, but the, the time times of the year. Because, of course, with education... You know, built into the um, academic calendar, we have the the summer vacation, right? There's a there's a break in the academic year for people to go away, and it makes sense, of course, in the Ottoman Empire. It's hot during the summer. There's no air conditioning, and in fact, you know, in my own research studying the effects of malaria, people needed to leave certain areas during the summer. They would go to the place called the Yaila or the summer mm-hmm. home to kind of escape the heat. And so, in the, I think this is in, in early. Turn, turn of the century, around 1900, uh, there's this exchange that takes place between uh, the education officials in Adana uh, and the central government. Of course, Adana's a place extremely hot during the summer, more so than other parts of the empires and uh, other parts of the empire, and everybody is leaving for the Yaila a little bit earlier there, so before the end of the academic calendar and returning after the beginning of the next school year. And the officials are writing because they're complaining that they themselves, their families, are all suffering of malaria and of the heat because they're not allowed to leave. The, the population has taken off and the officials have to stay to register the students to administer the exams. And they ask, can we change the schedule? We need it. And of course, the response comes back that we can give you a few extra days, but if you don't come by a certain time, we're going to lose students because you won't be there to register them. So there's this desperate like desire to, I guess, regiment uh, people's time cycles and have everyone in the empire doing something simultaneously at the same time, even though the geography and the climate doesn't permit it in this case. We have similar cases uh, with uh, you know provincial bureaus writing back to the central government about the opening hours of the of the bureaus. This is by the early 20th century. And again, as you said, we see the central government trying to regiment the whole empire with its diversified uh, geography and climate. And the people in, uh, especially in the Arab provinces where it becomes so hot, you know, writing back, look, this does not fit our 
schedules and you know people in the Albuquerque writing back saying you know we we don't do it this way here because we don't have restaurants near the near the bureaus we have to go home to eat that that takes mm-hmm. too long you know all kinds of problems and you see how this ideal that the 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 officials in the central government have by now clashes with daily life outside the bureaus and they have to compromise with it eventually they 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 simply cannot have it their way so they they give specific permissions or you know for for different bureaus in different areas and so to return to your concept of temporal culture this is one place where we see uh, you know, dialectical construction of the temporal culture, right? This is this is the reading clocks a la Turca that you're referring to in your work. Um, yeah, we what we see exactly is uh, uh, throughout the 19th century is a back and forth between new ideals and very entrenched traditions, uh, which gives birth to new systems for regimenting time and then later in specific areas and then later throughout the city. But it also gives birth to a a whole discourse that is explicitly and very consciously targeting some of the older traditions. So by the early 20th century, for the people of the, you know, the rising elites of that period... Reading clocks a la Turca is something of the past. It's something to be eradicated. And this is what they're actually trying to do with specific measures. When they can't have it through the parliament, they try to have different bodies of the government do it. But as I said, down to the end of the empire, they're unable to abolish that symbol of retardation, that symbol of, you know, the the istibdad, of you know of us being so be- so much behind uh this would take a few more years into the republican into the republican area era and i mean in that regard the topic we've been discussing today is so relevant for our study of uh nationalism i guess or the the period of the rise of the nation state because as you as you've pointed out so much of this uh new uh regimenting of time is tied to state structures and so the nation state creating I mean, the nation state does create like this simultaneous space where everybody is in the same place and also in the same time. Uh, oh, at least this is how it it's a presents it's a theoretical, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which of course presents problems. You have a country like Turkey; it's very long. Like on the map, it, it's uh, you know it covers a lot of longitudinal zones, and in Istanbul, while it's still light, it's dark in the east, and so you know this unevenness uh, of time that presents a problem to the, uh, I guess, state reformers who are trying to change the system, you know, lingers. It, it's really, it's really a and, and universal I think, phenomenon. I think it's very important, uh, this is very important to note, the, the, the conflicts, not only in the Ottoman Empire. We have now uh, Vanessa Ogle's uh, work coming out soon, which notes how, you know, how this whole idea of simultaneous, empty, uh, global time was more of an ideal everywhere around the world in the, uh, you know, well into the, you know, 
post World War One period. Uh, we have on Barak's on Barak's work on Egypt, which also notes how you know these conflicts that have to do with time are really reflections of social tensions within the body politic. Uh, so all these works together, I think, um, uh, emphasize how far the actual reality, still in the early 20th sure. century, was far from the ideal of, of, of modern time. But nevertheless, I have to note that this was a very, uh, very powerful ideal. Sure. So it kind of structured the way people envisioned the future and calculated their moves you know as 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 to reach that future i mean it, it makes very mundane themes uh it makes very mundane uh aspects of life seem very uh important for understanding uh the historical development of uh, our societies today i mean just think that in turkey today the weekend is the same as it is you know the the, yeah. t- the two day holiday at the end of the week is the same as as it is in the united states i would now. even i would even say think about everyday experiences for us mm-hmm. that would have been irrelevant for people in the 17th century like the train being late or you are being late for the train you missed the train okay these become images through which people conceptualize their you know the the position of the empire vis-a-vis other nations or other empires so the notion of the actual notion of being late becoming so important and if you read late 19th century novels you know ottoman novels you see so many of the protagonists being late to the vapour for example so this becomes uh, an important way of conceptualizing the condition of the empire and for example when the vapours are running late this is it reflects poorly. This reflects it reflects poorly, and the, you know officials themselves are saying, "Look," and they are saying it explicitly. You know, civilization is about order, and you know our vapours are running late. And what does that say about us? Especially after the 1908 revolution, we see these kinds of of uh, expressions in the documents, like in internal correspondence between different bodies of the government. Like we have to be aware of that because this reflects poorly on our new regime mm. right so and i i mean it's ironic that today when you were coming to meet us you were coming from the, the asian side and there was fog over the bosphorus and so your boat w- was held up and as a result you're actually late i mean this does happen from time to time it happens with with airplane flights as well which which goes to show how much this uh, regimentation of time is also about uh, dissociating human society and human life from a would-be nature, a natural world. On one hand, in some cases, harnessing or conquering nature, and on the other hand, removing human beings from that would-be natural context. And indeed, as we've talked about today, that even had implications for uh, changing the relationship between human beings and their pre-existing cultures and practices in the Ottoman Empire. And I think for people who are listening, who are working on other time periods and indeed other parts of the world, this approach to temporal culture that you've laid out today is actually one that really is applicable in almost any study of at least, whether it's political history or social history, you know, time comes into play 
So I really thank you for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing this uh, exciting new work that we hope to see released as soon as possible. Thank you very much for having me. Now, for those who want to find more about the topic, we have a bibliography on our website, uh, a link to Dr. Vishnitzer's uh, publications as well as other topics related to our discussion today. That's where you'll also find a place to leave your comments and questions and get access to some of our other episodes. We'd like to invite you, for those who haven't, to join us on Facebook in our Facebook group where we're always posting our new material, offering the latest episodes and uh, publications from our other websites. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care.